I invite you to open your Bible or one of the Pew Bibles to the third chapter of John. We read this morning the first 15 verses. Let us ask the Lord whose spirit breathed out this word and preserved it for us in Holy Scripture to breathe upon us afresh that we might have ears to hear and minds to understand and souls to receive it in true faith. Let us pray. Father, we give you thanks that you loved the world so much that you gave your only begotten Son. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We give you thanks that these things are written so that we may believe that Jesus is the Christ and that by believing in him we may have life. And so we pray, O Lord, for your sovereign, saving spirit to blow upon us, to move among us, to work within us that we might be renewed in faith to love you and to serve you all our days. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let us hear the word of God. John chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things. Truly, Truly I say to you, We speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Do you see Nicodemus? Coming at night in the darkness. Nicodemus had come under the cover of night in secret so that none of the other Pharisees would know about his personal interest in or curiosity about Jesus. 
And yet at the same time, what Nicodemus did not really know about himself was that he himself was in the dark, spiritually, speak, spiritually speaking. It's hard to see, isn't it? Hard to see in the dark. Well, Nicodemus says to Jesus, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. No one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Now, that sounds like a complimentary statement. It is at least respectful in tone. It, it revealed Nicodemus's curiosity about Jesus. But it's a guarded statement, perhaps with a hint of skepticism. What Nicodemus was really saying, what he was asking without asking, was, who are you? To which Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, why would Jesus answer him like that? Nicodemus had come to Jesus to learn more about him. Jesus responded to speaking to him about the need to be born again in order to see the kingdom of God. What's the connection? Well, the connection is that Nicodemus was curious about Jesus. Could Jesus be the Messiah? Are you the one who will bring the kingdom of God? Jesus knew what Nicodemus was thinking. And so Jesus cut right to the point. If Nicodemus were really interested in the kingdom of God, if Nicodemus were really interested in the Messiah, then Nicodemus needed to know, first of all, that he needed to be born again. Jesus said, truly, truly, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And we can tell from Nicodemus's reply that he was taken aback. How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Now, Nicodemus' words reflect his position as a Pharisee, a ruler of Israel. He was a son of Abraham, if you will. He had an impeccable pedigree. He was born into the covenant people of God. His identity and his status as an Israelite was unquestioned. The kingdom of God, he thought, was his birthright. Why would he, why would a man like Nicodemus need to be born again? As a Pharisee, he was an upstanding, observant Jew. He was obedient to the law of God. He was pious. He was serious about his religion. He was what we would call a good man. Now, if Nicodemus could not see, that is, could not enter into, could not experience if Nicodemus could not inherit the kingdom of God on the basis of his status as a Jew and his integrity as a devoted Pharisee, if, if Nicodemus could not see the kingdom of God, well, then who could? Well, that's the point. That's Jesus' point precisely. Jesus said it again, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, which is a way of saying the same thing in different words, unless one is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And just to make sure that Nicodemus got the point, Jesus later in the conversation said it a third time, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again, at which point Jesus was actually speaking southern. He used the, the plural pronoun, unless y'all 
Y'all must be born again. You and everyone you represent, those who think that they are entitled to the kingdom of God because of national identity or because of religious devotion, y'all, in fact, everyone, everyone, Jew and Gentile, must be born again. Now, it's important for us to know, and I, I, I want to clear away some of the clutter that might get in our way this morning. These are Jesus' words. The, the phrase born again is, are, is not a phrase made up by some loony television evangelist in the late 20th century or of some kooky religious fanatic. That's important to understand. We need to know why Jesus said this, what he meant, and what it means for us. The words born-again Christian in our day in American culture have been misinterpreted and misapplied in various ways, so there's lots of ignorance and confusion about what these words really mean. So don't get your definition of born-again Christian from CNN or Fox News or the Republican Party or the political pollster. We need to get our definition of born-again from the Bible, the Word of God, beginning with these words of Jesus himself. And it's important to note that this passage is not the only passage in the Bible in which the words or the concept of being born again is found. It's found also in the letters of John. It's found in the letters of Peter, Paul, and James. And the point is, this is not a peripheral issue. It is not an obscure concept. The new birth, regeneration, is right at the heart of the gospel of our salvation. Now this morning, for our call to worship, we read the opening verses of the first letter of Peter. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven. There it is. Being born again is directly linked to the hope and the assurance of our eternal inheritance of God's kingdom as the children of God, which comes to us through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, through faith in him. You see, Jesus' birth, so to speak, his birth from the dead, his resurrection, gives us new birth, new life, no longer under the power and the curse of sin and death. Our new birth comes from our union with Christ through faith, our union with him in his resurrection from the dead. And Peter uses the same phrase again at 1 Peter 1, 23. If you make a note, 1 Peter 1, 23 connects being born again by the power of the gospel which is preached. And then in his second letter to the Corinthians, the Apostle Paul wrote this. If anyone is in Christ, that is, if anyone is in union with Christ through faith, if anyone shares in the life of Christ, has the Spirit of Christ dwelling in him through faith. He is a new creature. The old has passed away. The new is come. This was Paul's way of speaking about being born again. Those who have faith in Christ 
have been made new. They have a new nature implanted within them in spiritual union with Christ through faith. They are new creatures who will live in the new creation when Christ comes again in glory. Paul used language very similar to Jesus' words. Jesus, when he said, born of water and the Spirit. Well, Paul picks up on this in his letter to Titus, chapter 3, verses 4 through 6. Paul refers to our salvation from God's mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. So there again is this language and this imagery of the washing which brings new birth, new life by the power of the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ. Now the point here is to demonstrate that the necessity of being born again, the New Testament's teaching about the new birth, is not a peripheral or obscure or strange matter. It is the good news of life. John tells us at the, near the end of this gospel that these things are written so that we may believe that Jesus is the Christ and by believing have life in his name. In him is life and life everlasting. He is the source of life, life everlasting. And so the teaching of the new birth is the good news of new life, a life which can never die because it is life in union with Jesus Christ by the power of his Holy Spirit. It is good news of what God in his grace and mercy and power does for sinners to save them from eternal death under the curse of sin. And, th and that applies to us all. You see, the gospel of Jesus Christ is good news. That's what the word gospel literally means. Good news. Well, it's good news because it, it comes against a backdrop of bad news. It is heavenly light against a backdrop of spiritual darkness. It is the good news of everlasting life against a backdrop of eternal death. This is what is at stake. And this is the reason that Jesus' words, you must be born again, are often rejected with such scorn and sarcasm. Why must a man such as Nicodemus, an upright, law-abiding, respectable, religious man, why must a man such as Nicodemus be born again? Because that man is spiritually dead and is under the curse of sin and death. This is what the natural man in his fallen state does not want to hear, does not want to believe, does not want to accept. But the Bible clearly teaches that spiritual death is the natural condition of every human being born into this world with the exception of Jesus. Now that is a dreadful truth, but it, it is a dreadful truth clearly revealed in Scripture. Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now that's not a minor problem. You know, we might hear that so often and think, well, yeah, I guess that means nobody's perfect. Come on. 
All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That is not a minor problem. That is the problem. That is the problem with humanity. And it is a problem which, if unresolved, leads to death and eternal condemnation. The scripture says the wages of sin is death. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 through 3 says that by nature in our fallen state every human being is dead in trespasses and sins. And therefore we are, says the scripture, by nature children of wrath. That's what the Bible says. By nature, children of wrath. We're born into this world in our fallen condition under a sentence of death and judgment. That's what the Bible reveals. Now that is what makes Jesus' words and the teaching of the New Testament about being born again so intolerable and unpalatable to those who reject the gospel. In our fallen state, we rebel against the word of God that tells us that we are sinners in need of a Savior. And that we, it's not simply that we need to improve. It's that we need to be made new all over again from the inside out. What do you mean? I may not be perfect, but God understands me. I'm not a bad person. I have morals. I have spiritual feelings. I have my relationship with my God. I don't need to be born again. That's religious fanaticism. Well, I may need to improve some areas of my life, but really I feel pretty good about myself. Especially compared to some people. Why do I need to be born again? And I've seen bumper stickers mocking Jesus' words. One from the secular perspective that says, Born okay the first time. And another from the New Age perspective, really picking up on old Hinduism and Buddhism, which says, born again, and again, and again, and again. I really don't know what hope anyone gleans from the pagan notion of reincarnation. But perhaps worst of all is the way in which Jesus' words are misinterpreted and misapplied in our American culture as though the term born again somehow refers to a particular group of Christians. As though there were regular Christians, ordinary Christians, run-of-the-mill Christians, normal Christians, and then another group called born-again Christians. And the media, with respect to politics, uses the term born-again Christians to indicate Christians who are conservative on social and moral issues, conservative with respect to family values, as though born-again Christians were a right-wing subset of the Republican Party. Well, just forget about all that. Just forget it. Just forget about all that. A Christian, any Christian, all Christians, by definition of the New Testament, are people who have been born again, have been given new life by the Spirit of God, who therefore worship Jesus Christ as the eternal Son of God and trusted Him for the forgiveness of their sins and received the promise of life everlasting through Him. 
There is no other way to be a true Christian except by a gracious, merciful, sovereign, saving work of God who gives new life to dead sinners by the power of the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ. A Christian is a Christian. Someone who has been born again by the Spirit of God and who therefore believes the gospel of Jesus Christ seeks to live for the glory of Christ in lifelong repentance and faith. There's no other way to be a Christian other than by being born again by the Spirit and receiving Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. But, let us be warned. At the same time, there may be, there are those who call themselves Christians. I'm not throwing stones and rocks. I'm asking us to examine ourselves. Who call themselves Christians, members of a Christian church, perhaps even seminary professors or pastors, who associate themselves publicly with Christianity, part of the institution and organization, but who at the same time deny that Jesus is the only begotten Son of God, the only Savior of sinners, deny His uniquely divine nature, who do not believe that His death on the cross was the wrath-absorbing substitutionary sacrifice for the sins of His people, who deny His bodily resurrection, deny His ascension into heaven and His reign at the Father's right hand, have no expectation of His glorious return, and who therefore deny the need for the new birth, deny the need for conversion, repentance, and a life of faithful obedience. They reduce the term Christian to a matter of being a nice, peace-loving, well-adjusted, socially pleasant person. And that kind of Christian is no kind of Christian at all. That person is in the dark, self-deceived, spiritually dead. And I say this only because I don't want there to be any misunderstanding in your hearts and minds. If someone were to ask you, are you a born-again Christian? Don't worry about what their definition is or what they mean by that. Answer according to the Bible. Do you believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God? The only Savior of sinners? Your Savior? The only way that you are saved from your sins? Do you trust in Him alone for your salvation? Do you know that apart from the saving grace and mercy and power of God to save you from your sins... By the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, without that great work, you would be utterly, hopelessly, eternally lost? Do you believe that His death on the cross paid the penalty for all of your sins personally? Not just the sins of the world in general, but for your sins. Yours. Do you believe that your sins have been atoned for by the blood of Christ? Do you believe that His resurrection from the dead guarantees your victory over the grave. That He will raise you up into life everlasting in His new creation. And do you believe, do you love Jesus Christ because of who He is and what He has done for you? Is it your desire to live for His glory? However imperfectly you may do that in this life. 
Do you seek His forgiveness when you know that you have failed and fallen and sinned against Him? This is what it means to be born again, to believe in Jesus Christ, and by believing to have life, everlasting life, as a child of God and an heir of the eternal inheritance of glory. And dear brothers and sisters, you see, this conversation with Nicodemus ultimately points us to the cross of Jesus Christ. His death is our life. Here's how it took place. Jesus concluded this little portion of the conversation by referring Nicodemus back to the book of Numbers. It was a story that Nicodemus knew well. The story of the Israelites when they were wandering in the wilderness and they had murmured against God. They had murmured against Moses and God sent forth serpents to bite them. To punish them. And some of the Israelites had died. But then God offered a means of salvation. God told Moses to make a bronze serpent. To put it on a pole. And to lift it up. And everyone who had been bitten, if they looked in faith to that bronze serpent on the pole, they would be healed. Why did Jesus tell that story to Nicodemus? Remind him of that. Because that serpent in the wilderness, that bronze serpent on the pole, was a symbol pointing to Jesus Christ. We have been bitten by the serpent. His poison runs in our veins and it will kill us unless we are healed. How to be saved. How to receive new life. Look to the one who for our sake was bitten by the serpent and died in our place. Look to Jesus Christ lifted up on the cross. Dying in your place for your sins. That you may be healed and have life everlasting. What about Nicodemus? Well, a little later on in the Gospel of John, a group of Pharisees was conspiring against Jesus and beginning to plot against him. And Nicodemus cautioned them, saying, Does our law judge a man before it hears him and knows what he is doing? Well, the other Pharisees turned on him and rebuked him and scorned him. And then, near the end of the Gospel, we read that when Joseph of Arimathea came to take down the body of Jesus from the cross, do you know who helped him? It was Nicodemus. He wasn't coming in secret. He wasn't coming by night. He came in the plain light of day. To take Jesus off the cross. And he came with a very expensive 
plentiful gift of myrrh and aloes with which to anoint Jesus' body. And Nicodemus was there. And they laid his body in the tomb. When was Nicodemus born again? How did it happen to him? We don't know. That's not important. God works in our lives in different ways. God works dramatically in some people's lives. God works very quietly, very subtly in other people's lives. It doesn't matter. The wind blows where it wills. You hear the sound of it. You don't know where it's coming from or where it's going, but there it is. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. That new life becomes evident in their life. Nicodemus came by night. He came in the dark. But the light of life dawned on him. And he was born again. The promise of the Gospel in the life of Nicodemus is the promise of the Gospel to each one of us who will receive Jesus Christ in faith. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You for loving us for sending Your Son into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world might live through Him. And we pray, O God, that You will continually work in our lives to build us up in Your grace and truth. That in Your grace and mercy You will call others out of darkness into Your marvelous life, light out of death and into life everlasting. By the power of your word and the spirit. Through Jesus Christ our Lord in whose name we pray.